Corinthians. And uh, verse 18 through 25. <laughs> and I think I gave you the outline last week, but here's the part that we're in right now is just the beginning. The nature of the body, which is the church nature of it. Uh, that's the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. Paul deals with the nature of the body. And in its nature is the fact that it's empowered by God. We saw that in the first nine verses. There's no way you can fail is what he's saying. God will see you through to the day of Christ. That is if you look to him and uh, then he goes in on their major problem. They have a problem of division. And we, t we talked about that last week. Remember, there's uh, the house of Coley that worships there at Corinth that evidently wrote Paul a letter or maybe they run into him in their travels. But they informed him about this division. Uh, there's one group over here. Uh, and they're all of the same congregation there at Corinth, but they're divided up. And that's not good for men. Uh, that's not of God. They're divided up. Some of them's pretty proud of the fact that they follow Paul. And others that they follow Paulus. And some Cephas and Christ. And so, uh, of all of the 17 problems that the church at Corinth had, that we read about in the First Corinthian letter, he deals with the worst one first, problem of division. Now, a congregation can have uh, marriage problems and uh, Lord's Supper problems, as the Corinthian church did. And those problems can be worked out. But division will divide the church because it's a matter of man's pride. Uh, he's a very proud animal. That's why when you come to God, it's got to be by humility. You've got to submit yourself unto God. Uh, so Paul is, uh, is dealing with this matter of uh, the fact that the body here at Corinth is imperiled by division. And of course, there's the scriptures that deals with it. And this evening, we're going to begin in about verse 18 where Paul talks about uh, the two points of the factors of the cross. What are the factors of the cross that uh, is opposed to the world? Well, he mentions it here, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so, he talks about the foolishness of preaching, preaching about the cross in verse uh, 18 through 21. And then the features of preaching, verse 22 through 25, uh, or the thing preached. Let's read verse 18 through 25, and then we'll come back and comment on the highlights of it. Beginning in verse 18. One thing I did want to mention, though, is Paul now has these people's undivided attention. Uh, he didn't start right off by telling them how bad they were and all the things that were wrong with them. He began, he told them first of all, they were empowered by God. That God was, uh, they were God's children. Uh, they're the church of God. Uh, they've been sanctified, justified. They have all that they need. God hasn't shortchanged them at all. They have all knowledge and all wisdom. They're just not applying it and using it. And that's generally the case in all congregations that I've ever saw, is that very same thing. They just ain't using what God has given them. But God hadn't shortchanged them. And so when, now they know who they are and how precious they are and how secure they are. And now Paul can go in to correct these problems and they will listen to him now. They'll listen to him. So he starts out on the first one, the division. And uh, 
So let's read verse 18 uh, through 25. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputers of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. And here's why. For the Jews seek after a sign, and the Greeks, they seek after uh, wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jew it's a stumbling block, and under the Greeks it's foolishness. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so here, here he presents those two points uh, of the factors of the cross. Uh, he deals with the foolishness of preaching. Uh, the lost says that it's foolishness. Not only what's said, but the saying of it. Now don't you reckon if God said it, it's pretty powerful? Don't you reckon if God said it, it's true? But see, you've got to recognize between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. It's directly opposed to one another. The wisdom of man. The wisdom of God. We have to humble ourselves to learn the wisdom of God. But in this world we live in, we're subjected to the wisdom of man. Evolution. And uh, don't spank your kids, it might warp their little personalities. And all that kind of stuff is the wisdom of man. And those who honor men and their wisdom and stick with the wisdom of man, they never will learn the truth. They never will. You've got to humble yourself before God to learn God's wisdom. And His wisdom, as Paul will say, is wiser than men. Uh, his foolishness is wiser than men. And uh, His weakness is stronger than men. You've got to come to recognize that. But the devil has us convinced that, oh, we just come from nothing out here. Evolution, you know, the, theory, the great theory of evolution. Well, I want you to consider what man's already done to himself. And I'm talking about every nation in the world. Where did they begin? With Adam and Eve. What did they do to themselves in that 4,000 years before the cross? and the 2,000 years since the cross to our time. What have they done? What has man done with his great colleges and all of his teaching of man's wisdom? What has man's wisdom brought us? You've got to see this. Here's where you can read about it. The results of man's wisdom Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, and going all the way to the third chapter and verse 20. You want to know what man has done to himself? There it is. And that's why verse 18 begins uh, this way. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then it begins to outline in detail for you the unrighteousness of man as a result of his wisdom. Now, his, man's wisdom is very common to us because we're raised in it. You know, if you eat slop, and that's all you know, slop's pretty good until you eat 
uh, a, a good meal and you see the difference. But the world has no concept of God. That's why God chose the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. Because the world by its wisdom knew not God. And so it pleased God uh, through the foolishness of the thing preached. Now he's not saying preaching is foolish. He's saying the thing preached is foolishness. The gospel. Alright, but if you want to see man's wisdom at work and what it's done to the human family since the beginning up till 2021, there it is right there. Do you watch Fox News and those programs that tell you about our characteristics of our history and our doings amongst our wise men in Congress and Senate? That in itself will show you the stupidity of man's wisdom. That's why in the Bible is number six. Seven being a complete number, he's one number short of being complete. He looks like he just about got it all together, but never does make it. All right, so Paul's going to deal with this because here's a church that's very proud. They're all puffed up one against another. And he starts out by declaring that what we preach is the simplicity of what God has revealed to us. Now you either want what God's revealed to you or you want this over here that's already brought destruction to the whole human family for the last 6,000 years. You like eating crap? Well, that's what we've been eating for 6,000 years. The only beauty of life, the only uh, drive in life, the only security in life comes from God. It does not come from man. It does not come from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Cambridge. They may have some good things to teach you as true. You might go down there and learn a little bit about different subjects, but it's pretty limited because when they get off into philosophy, and philosophy is just the opposite of facts, isn't it? Philosophy is when you don't have any facts, you just feel philosophizing on what you think it ought, how it ought to be. And there's where they go awry. Uh, like uh, one of that guy that wrote the book on how to raise children. Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock. Did you know I heard him on an interview before he died? He renounced his whole theory. He apologized because he admitted that he had destroyed a good portion of the world by his philosophy that, oh, if you spank one of them children, you might warp its little personality. Let me tell you, the Bible tells you you need to warp that personality. Because foolishness, it says, is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rock drives it far from him, and it does. When his little eyes bug out and the tears just pop out and run down his cheek and he's looking at you like in amazement, you've got his attention now. I always liked what Bill Cosby said. Son, I brought you into this world and I can take you out and make another one just like you. <laughs> Had that boy's attention, didn't he? <laughs> All right, so verse 18 through 25 that we just read deals with the foolishness of preaching. Uh, the law says it is foolishness. Not only what is said, but the saying of it. Uh, if what's being said you count foolish, what do you count the saying of it? Well, you count that foolish too. And what do you, uh, and what do you count the foolish, the fellow saying it? Well, you count him as a fool. And that's what we are, as fools of God. So the world says it's foolishness. The facts of it, the things preached, and the person preaching it is foolishness. But what is it when, uh, when preached to us? Well, look at verse 18. It's the power of God. 
It's the wisdom of God. And so to accept the message of the cross, he'll tell us in a minute that to the Jew it was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it was foolishness. But to you and I who are saved, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's all a matter of what you want. And God designed life where you're going to eat crap until you finally decide maybe there's a better way and you're going to begin to look. And that's when you began to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might instruct you about what's real, what's true, what's right and just, and what's lovely and all of those sort of things. All right? And so when it's preached to you and I, it's power. Uh, what the world counts foolishness, we count power. You think the world will ever understand what we're doing? What we're doing? No, they never will. If they understand what you're doing, check your whole card. You're not doing it right. If the world agrees with you, that's very clear. It's clear from Romans one over there. It's clear from the Lord's statement: "Wide is the gate and broad is the way, and many there be enter therein to the road of destruction." And so you can't listen to the world. The world has nothing to offer but futility and depravity and a heartache and tears. That's all I got. Now, I'm talking about the world, not one or two people in the world. If the world says that makes sense to me, uh, then you're not making sense to God because you're preaching a bunch of junk. That's all you're preaching. And that's what the world's preaching is a bunch of junk. Because uh, that's all the world has ever appreciated is philosophical jargon and junk uh, uh, that they can't understand and they feel somewhat built up by telling everybody they do. That's all the world has ever appreciated. And so if all the world appreciates you and uh, you're preaching a bunch of philosophical junk, Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. And I'd like for us to read a few verses here where the proverb writer asks the question, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers uh, delight in scoffing, and fools that hate knowledge. And that's the world we live in. These great professors and scholars and men that are renowned in the eyes of men and the ones in Fox News and all the others bring on the television and ask them breathtakingly, what do you think about this? And they're, oh, let me tell you what I think about this. And then they change their mind the next day. Oh, I changed my mind. Let me tell you how I think on it now. Fools, that's what they are. They don't have no knowledge. But turn over to Proverbs 1. And here let's begin in verse 20. Uh... Because here is wisdom's warning to those who despise her. And the world despises wisdom. The wisdom of God anyway. And let me read down to the end of the chapter. Wisdom crieth aloud in the street. Is wisdom there in Benton City? Is it in Pasco, Kennewick, Richland? Is it around the world? Yes, it is. God seen to it. His love demands that it's around the world. He said his word would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and it does. So, wisdom cries aloud in the street. She utters her voice in the broad places. She crieth in the chief places of concourse. At the entrance of the gates of the city, she uttereth her words. Now, this is what the world calls foolishness. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And you scoffers delight them in scoffing, making mockery of the truth. And fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. That's God's wishes for them. He poured out his spirit. He's poured it out on us, hasn't he? I mean, we're still drinking deep of it. But he's poured it out to us through his word. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, 
ye have refused. There's a picture of the world we live in. I have stretched out my hand, and no man has regarded. But ye have said it not all of my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh in the day of your calamity. I will mock when your fears cometh. When your fear cometh as a storm, and your calamities come on you as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then will they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Here And here's why. For that they hated knowledge. There's the reason right there, they hated knowledge. Why was Israel destro destroyed? Hosea 4, 2, uh, Hosea 4, 6. My people, he said, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And why did they lack knowledge? They didn't have teachers. No, the very next statement in that verse said they hated knowledge. That was their problem. Jeremiah said, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where it is a good way. And walk therein, and they said, we will not. And that's what you got nowadays is a hard-headed bunch of people, the majority of them, and they make mockery of the, of the simplicity of God's word and the power of it. Uh, verse 29, for they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Jehovah. So they hate knowledge and they did absolutely did not choose the fear of Jehovah. That's why a lot of them are not here tonight. They don't want to be here. They don't want the fear of Jehovah. They would none of my counsel. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to undo it. They despise all my reproofs. Therefore, now you know what a therefore is, based upon wherefore the went before. It's a conclusion. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. You like crap? Well, God will put your face in it and say, eat a little more. You haven't had enough yet. Eat some more. That's what you like? Have some more of it. And in his patience, and in his grace, and in his love, he will let you eat it until you puke on it. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the backsliding of the simple shall slay them and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell securely. Oh, I like that. And shall be quiet without fear of evil. Well, that's far to want to read studying 1 Corinthians, so we go back to 1 Corinthians. <coughs> oh, one more passage, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 19. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he speaks here of the nature of the very church itself. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves are wise. false teachers come along they don't need any proofs they got they got uh, letters of recommendation and they've got pedigrees from Harvard Yale Princeton and Cambridge and yeah and the church suffers fools gladly isn't that sad isn't that sad you can blind a man with your pedigree and right away oh boy we're standing in the presence of greatness no, you're standing in puke is what you're standing in. Man's wisdom. Man don't have anything to offer you. It ain't going to last long. What are you going to come when it comes to dying? What's going to happen when you're laying on a, a, a sick bed? Oh, man. There's no encouragement there. There's no incentive. There's no hope. They done told you you come from nothing. Come from sliming a sea and swung in a tree, and that's you. <laughs> they done insulted you. <laughs> you have no hope. You have nothing. <clears throat> so Paul talks about the futility of 
philosophy in his uh, quote in verse 19. He says, I will utterly destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Now this, God's, this is God's mission. That's what he does. And he showed it to the wise. The world don't see it, but the wise do. Then he asked the question. The answer to everyone is answered in the Bible. He says, where is the wise man? Do you know where he's at? That's quite a question, isn't it? Where is the wise? He's not in the body, the church. Uh, he had to get rid of all that wisdom to get in the body. What do you got to do when you come into the body, the church? You got to put aside the wisdom that you learned in the world. You got to start fresh as a baby does. You've got to learn a new wisdom that comes from God. You can't bring the filth and the puke of the philosophies of this world into the church and begin to run the church according to the filth and the pollutions of this world. You can't do it. You better have a thus saith the Lord on it. He says, where is the scholar? He's not in a body because... Uh, he had to deny the value of everything that he knew to get into the body. And the world's not going to do that. The world ain't going to deny the value of all that they've learned. They're just so smart. I mean, it's just hard to stand in the presence of smartness like you got out here in the world. But listen to them whine when their day of calamity comes that we just read about in Proverbs 1. Lord said, because you didn't seek me, I won't be there in the day of your calamity. When you put that gun up here to your head and say, I've had all of this world of man I can stand, and you're ready to pull the trigger, God ain't going to be there because you never did seek him. You didn't like knowledge. And so there's a vast difference between the knowledge of God and the knowledge of this world. And to get into the body, you've got to deny the knowledge of this world. You've got to recognize that it's man's philosophical junk. He asked another question. Where is the philosopher of this age? He's not in the body because uh, you have to get rid of all the philosophy that makes spoil of him to get into the body. It's already spoiled you, so you've got to get rid of that. It's sour. It's puke is what it is. And so the answer to these three questions, verse 19, is simply not in the body. You've got to quit being a wise man. Uh, you've got to quit being a scholar. You've got to quit being a philosopher to get into the body. You have to be born again. You, you remember that phrase, don't you, being born again? Of the water and the spirit. You've got to be made over again. Because the world done made you puke. The world done filled you with all of its philosophical nonsense. And so when you come to Christ, you've got to be made over again. Why are we up here studying the Word of God? To be made over. To learn the depths of Christianity. The height, the length, the breadth, the width, and all this involved. <coughs> And so you have to be born again. You cannot baptize human philosophy and make it divine philosophy. It will not work. And boy, there have been a lot of them tried. We still bow to the shrine of knowledge. It's ingrained in us because we've been taught that since we were little kids. I mean, school taught us to us. Our neighbors taught it and their performance in life and their... Their words and uh, their way of life and everything, everything about life that man is involved in putrefying is affected us. So when you come into the gospel of Christ, you've got to be born again. Born anew. Made over. Uh, 
Now look at the features of the preaching. Uh, verse 22 through 25. He says the Jews want... Uh, here's the reaction, see, to the gospel. The gospel preached, and what did the Jews want? Oh, they wanted proof. What did the Gentiles want? They wanted explanation. Neither one of which they ought to ask for, because the gospel is self-sustaining. It's self-witnessing. People are telling you today that they uh, obey the gospel because God showed them a miracle. No, 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 no. The resurrection of Christ does not need a miracle to prove it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the same as the resurrection. It's a fact that cannot be denied because it's locked into a time-space that we call history. It don't need any support. It's self-sustaining. Self-witnessing. I guarantee you right now, you don't know the light's off, uh, but you come back at midnight and you'll know the light is off. Now, will you need a witness that the light's off? <laughs> Do I need two or three witnesses to come and tell, tell you, I know you ain't going to believe this, but the light's off. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said, walk in the light. It needs no witness. Already witnessed, didn't it? Now, if you're going to, if you're, you're going to talk in, to an atheist, you may need to get some witness to the light. But once the light shines, it is uh, self uh, uh, a testing thing. It attests to itself. And so Jesus said, I don't need any witness. I speak a self-witnessing message. If I speak of myself, my witness is true. Jesus said on one occasion in John 8, verse 14. If I'm alone, my witness is true. I am the light of the world. And light needs absolutely no witness when it shines in darkness, does it? I mean, when you turn the lights on, does somebody have to say, uh, we just turned the lights on? No, you don't have to tell them. <laughs> it witnesses to itself. And so the Jews, they demanded miraculous signs. You read in the Gospels where they hounded Jesus, show us a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And God had been showing signs for 4,000 years through the prophets and through the message that he sent. He'd been showing his uh, divine power in the deliverances of nations and everything else and bringing down nations and setting up nations. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. Nobody sees it today. They don't even see the record of history because a history book, again, is a directory through the cemetery of nations that once were and are no more because of Romans 1 there through Romans 3, the stupidity of man. He can't leave anything alone until he's destroyed it. God gave us the freedoms in this country and our Constitution set upon those freedoms uh, practically forbade out of the Bible. And man just can't handle it. Now the Democrats want to destroy all that. They want to get a new America. Well, it's already destroying us. It's eating the hindsight out of us. How many sees it? How many wants to see it? But most people are just having fun in the sun. You ask them, who's president of the United States? I don't know. What's the main problems in America? I don't know. I've been having fun, man. And I've been on drugs, you know. And, uh... <laughs> so, is the tomb empty? Yeah. Oh, the devil, you can hear his teeth grinding at the thought of that. 
the tomb is empty. If the tomb's empty, then I need no miracle. But the Jews, they wanted a miracle. They wanted a sign. Now God's the one that had this plan of salvation and He planned out the signs that would prove who Jesus was. When Jesus came, He didn't come to tell you all about Christianity because He left that with the apostles. He chose those men. He said, I chose you to go forth with the truth and make it known to the whole world. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. But that's no problem. After I went back to my father, I'll send the Spirit to guide you into all the truth. So the tomb is still empty, and I need no miracles for that. That's like the light being on in darkness. If the tomb is still empty, uh, then I have nothing to worry about. That's how simple it really is. Not simplistic, but simple. Uh, one miracle, and only one, allows you that uh, resurrection. And if the resurrection happened and the tomb is still empty, he walked on water, didn't he? Do you have to prove that? You have to prove Jesus walked on water. Somebody says, well, you know, I might believe you if you prove to me that Balaam's ass actually spoke to him. No. You prove the resurrection. And when you prove the resurrection, you prove everything that happened. You prove every miracle that ever happened. If the tomb is still full, it doesn't matter if he walked on water or not. Now that's the sim that's how simple it really is. But the Gentiles, now they're different than the Jews. They want explanation. Uh, they wanted wisdom. Uh, where's the wisdom in all of this, they would say. Uh, what has Socrates said about it? See, they followed the great minds of their time, like Socrates. Uh, in fact, in John 7 and verse 48, you might want to turn over there and read that because there, uh, the Jews, the hierarchy of the Jews, listen to what they said. Have any of the rulers ever believed on him or of the Pharisees? That's how men, men do. Well, I don't see too many believing on him. Have any of those wise men, those counselors, have they believed on him? Well, the answer is no. So that's the way they went. They charted their life after those men. They wanted the wise people of the world to agree to this. That's the reaction every time the cross is preached right there. The uh, legalist, he wants a miracle. The philosopher, uh, the philosophical guy, he wants to know, uh, does it agree with what he's learned? It's got to agree with him what he's already learned in the world. The answer is you don't need a miracle and it doesn't agree with what you've learned. Hosea 4 and verse 12. My people ask counsel at their stock and their staff declares unto them. Do you get the humor of that? We set up colleges. That's our stock. And then we ask them how we should live. We're the ones that gave them the the, the philosophy. Isn't it stupid? <laughs> and that's what God said they were doing back then. Uh, they ask counsel at their stock and their staff declares unto them. Uh, so the results of this preaching is seen in verse 23 and 24. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. And Consequently, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. People will stumble. People will call it foolish. People will run uh, to it for help. Uh, uh, 
they need for power and wisdom. The very thing that uh, the miracle intended to prove uh, I've got in Christ. The very thing, uh, the reason that Greeks called it foolishness, I've got in Christ. The Jews wanted power, and what do I have in Christ? Paul said, I have power. And the Greeks wanted wisdom, and what do I have in Christ? Well, Paul said, we have wisdom. We have power, we have wisdom. And so, what they want, I've got. And what I've got, they want and can't have it. And we'll find it, and uh, we'll find out why in chapter 2. As long as they want a sign or an explanation, they cannot have this. I mean, a human explanation, not a discussion of what the Bible says. That's different. It's just a fact. Power and human reason, reasoning can never accept the cross. Never can. You try to tell a Greek that this mighty king is going to rule the world is allowing man to crucify him? They would call that weakness, wouldn't they? They didn't see the power of God in it. They didn't see the power of the love of God in the sacrifice that was made that would be the calling card for men, be the thing that draws them, that compels them, that constrains them. They didn't see that. Because they were looking at it through human wisdom. Now you can't have any power or wisdom until you do and you can't accept it as long as you think you can find it in man. Man is a weak dude and a dumb dude. You've got you to see that and Romans 1 will tell you about it. I mean when he's smart, he's still in kindergarten as it were. Now the reason for the priority of preaching is found in verse 25. Preaching takes priority over anything else. Now, I don't mean pulpiteering. That's not what is being discussed here in the word preaching. That's what we relate it to all the time. Because you preach by your actions. You preach in homes, writing a letter, and on and on we could go. But telling people about the cross is what preaching is. And so telling people about the cross, verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, that's deep sarcasm, simply because God has no foolishness to begin with. And he has no weaknesses. But how do they view the cross? They view it weakness but it's stronger than any strength man has. And how did they view the cross? Foolishness. But it's what? Wiser than any wisdom that man has. The uneducated, the weak, the despised word about Jesus and the cross is wiser and stronger than man has ever seen. Now that's all involved in the peril of division. Divisions, perils, the church. And what's the only solution? The simple, uneducated proclamation of the cross. Now Paul's going to get into the uneducated nature of preaching the cross in chapter 2. Hadn't got there yet, but he will. Uh, probably next week. And what does the church think today? They follow human wisdom. Oh, we got to have someone with great finesse that's able to just woo people with words. No, we woo them with the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is, is the compelling thing. It's the driving force. It's the power of God. It's not your ability of being able to speak like angels. Alright, now when I use the word uneducated, I did not mean uninformed by that word. Ignorant and uneducated simply means not worldly wise. Worldly power 
worldly wisdom divides the church. It does every time it appears. That's what threatens the church. This division that Paul's talking about here that he's been informed of there at Corinth. But the church united on Jesus is threatened by nothing. And so the church, three things. It's empowered by God. We saw that in first chapter, verse 1 through 9. It's periled by division, chapter 1, 10 through 25. And it's composed of fools. That's what we are. We're looked upon as foolish people of the world. We're, but we're fools for Christ. Chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. If the gospel is foolishness, what's the church composed of? Fools. Fools of God. Now that's the highest degree that you can achieve, uh, far exceeding your PhDs and all else. To graduate a fool for God is higher than any degree you can get amongst men. So in verse 26 he says, Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Now some were, but they had to give it up to get there in the body. Not many of you were wise, he says, by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, But God chose... Now, he can do anything he wants to, can't he? But here it says God chose. He didn't just use what was given. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Verse 23, he chose the lovely, the lowly things. He chose the despised things. And the things that are not uh, not considered as nothing to nullify the things that are considered something. Why did he do that? We'll look at verse 29. So that no man may boast before him. And we've got brethren in the church boasting of their great deeds and their great works and starting churches here and starting churches there and building great churches. Where do they get that right to boast? Oh, that's embarrassing and it's shameful. And so that no man may boast before him. Now you talk about a slam. Paul's getting down mean and dirty here in his language and he's rubbing their nose in their stupidity and he's exalting God in doing so. Not man, but God. God can take the nothings and get done what he wants to get done. Blessed are the nothings, Jesus said in the gospel on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the nothings, for they shall possess the kingdom. Fool for Christ. If the world doesn't judge me a fool, then I'm not what I ought to be. So the world looks on us as fools, and it's a badge of honor. Now all of that's true so that we will quit boasting. Don't tell me we don't love boasting. We, I've seen it in the church all my life. Uh, I've read our books, and I've attended some of our workshops, uh, and we love to boast. Since I've been there, great things have really happened, you know. Uh, if I hadn't been there, they wouldn't happen. But, boy, since I've been there, the great things have been happening. I'm looking to see an article that a brother will write someday, maybe, that says, since I've been there, the church is half the size it used to be. I told the elders in the congregation that I worshipped in once when they was trying to hire a preacher. They told that preacher, and I heard him tell him from Texas, said, if you can, if you can cause this congregation to grow by 10% in a year, we might consider keeping you 
uh, for another year. Well, he's got to go into fun things and stories uh, because they're not going to stick around for the gospel. And I told them elders, point blank, I said, you know, if we ever got a preacher in here to preach the truth, he would probably run off 10% right off the top. Because there's Pentecostals, there's Presbyterians, there's Methodists, there's you name it, that has come into the Lord's church because the preacher, the, the, el the leadership, the elders, the teachers, the preachers, haven't been preaching the truth about things. Oh, we can't really say anything about the one church because it might offend uh, those people, you know, because they don't believe that. We, we can't say, you know, we can't teach baptism because, you know, there's a lot of people who don't believe that. And so to keep their paycheck and to keep their honor and their great dignity and glory, they will walk around the scriptures and there's congregations that's been doing that for decades and I've been there and seen it and they got a whole congregation of mixed people, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Methodists, Catholics, and they don't have a clue about the church of our Lord. Because Paul said it's one church with one doctrine, one faith, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. One hope, one spirit to call it. One Lord and one God. That's what Paul's dealing with here at Corinth. You remember when we studied the introduction to Corinth, remember? We talked about how that they were very idolatrous people. They were pagan people because they were, Corinth was made up of a conglomeration of people from all the continents of the world at that time. Because all your trade ships carrying goods from east to west went right through Corinth and that little isthmus there where, they, where Corinth was. So therefore it is written, Let him that boast, boast in the Lord. That's Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. Boast in the Lord. Don't just talk about the Lord, but boast in the Lord. Talk about big things Jesus done and does. Has he enhanced your life? Have you ever sat down and kept, we sing a song, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Have you ever done that? Well, I'm here to tell you I was stupid enough to do that one time, and I really appreciate the preacher. He said, get you a piece of paper when you go home today and start making a list of all your blessings. Well, after I run out of money to buy more paper, I don't know how many sheets I went through trying to enumerate my blessings. I give up on it. I was overwhelmed and profounded by what I called to mind. But then I'm a fool, see. The world wouldn't have done that. They, they'd have laughed at that and went home and said how stupid the preacher was. But we sing about it. Have you ever done it? And so we can boast in the Lord. I've got a brother that can whip anybody in all the universe. <laughs> That's what little boys say about their dad. My dad can whip anybody. My brother can whip your brother. I mean, the one in me can whip anything and everything in all the world and use a, a nothing, a fool like me, and do it. So he can use a weakling to do it, like me. He can, use, he can use me in whipping anybody, anywhere, anytime. My big brother fights my battles for me. So I'm following my big brother waving a flag because I'm bragging in him. He's on a white horse when you finish out Revelation in the 19th chapter. There's a sword coming out of his mouth and a rod in his hand, and a wine press beneath his feet. But he won't. Uh, but he wouldn't do that without me saying, "The guy got on me, and he is my wisdom." 
What does he mean by that? Well, he's my righteousness, my holiness, and my redemption. That's what wisdom is. And so, if you got a, a quick pen, wisdom deals with the mind. Righteousness deals with the heart. Holiness deals with life. Redemption deals with assurance. And so wisdom is heart, life, and assurance. And that's what Jesus said. I've come that they might have life. Jesus did not come for any reason other than life. That's the reason He came. He wants you to have life eternal. That's the reason He came. And to have it in its fullness, complete. That means enjoy it even when it is bitter, a bad tasting and unhappy, and still enjoy it. And enjoy simply means uh, join in, doesn't it? Find joy in life. That's Jesus. That's who. That's where we find joy in life. Many would say that life is is uh, health, wealth, prosperity, and success. I've been hearing that from the pulpit, and I think you have too over the years. But life is in Christ. It's not in health, wealth, and prosperity. It is not. Life is not in health, wealth, and prosperity. It's in Christ. I just want to make sure you got that point. My sufficiency in all of the difficulties of life and all the problems of life and all the things in life, my sufficiency is not in my fruits. It's in my Savior and in my following Him. He gets done what he wants done, even if I don't understand it. Doesn't matter. The prophets were that way. They didn't understand it, did they? 1 Peter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you uh, by the Spirit of Christ which was in them did testify beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. And boy, they was eager to find out what they was what they was prophesying. They didn't understand it. But they all contributed their God-given bits and pieces of a puzzle that culminated in Christ and the kingdom, the church. And so I'm going to boast significantly, fully and completely in the Lord. And so a reminder here. Number one, the body is empowered by God. It's imperiled by division, number two. Number three, it's composed of fools. And number four, it's not resting on human wisdom. Fools don't ever rest on human wisdom. Wise men go to hell. Fools go to heaven. Now we're talking about the way the world views it. Time's up. So beginning next week in chapter 2, Paul begins... He said, when I came to you, brothers, notice the use of that word over and over again, brothers. Is he akin to them? Yes, he is. Yeah, but they got problems. He's akin to them. He's your brother. Don't that mean a whole bunch? I'm your brother, and I hope you're my brother. We look out for one another. We're anxious to help one another. What's behind it all? The cross. Which bespeaks of the love of God. <coughs> when is today? Fourth. Eight, four? 